Imagine for a moment we live in a world where everyone and every company knows about their transformative purpose, and together we are creating a better world than how we found it. Good day, and thank you for listening to the Transformative Purpose Podcast. I'm your host Aaron. We build community to inspire. We believe by becoming a better future self together, we can co-create a better future for the next generation. And in every episode, I invite a special guest to talk about how to make our world a better place. If you enjoy our content and would like to see more of it, there is a link which you can become a member by treating our team with one coffee a month. This podcast is currently run by myself and also a team of very passionate volunteers, and we'll really appreciate your support. My guest today is Fionn Leung. I met Fionn back in 2015 through her charitable organization. Fionn is the co-founder of Time Auction, a tech-enabled charity that advocates volunteerism. They encourage volunteering with inspiring experiences while connecting skilled volunteers with NGOs. Started off as a side project in 2014, Time Auction quickly gained traction among generous donors and young adults. Time Auction became a registered charity in Hong Kong in early 2017, with Fionn dedicating herself full-time to the charity and is now leading the international expansion operations and continuing the mission to make volunteering a fulfilling and vital part of people's lives. Over 80,000 volunteer hours have been contributed by the Time Auction community in nine cities. What a great achievement and welcome to the podcast, Fionn. Hi, Aaron. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. How are you? Good, good. I mean, it's been a long time since we last met. That was like when you were a featured guest on Time Auction, like you said, six, seven years ago when we first started as a side project. So good to be here and, and chat with you again. Yeah, I still remember that dinner you and your team put together. We, I think we had Thai at Lang Kui Fong. It was yourself and a team and also about 10 of us just chatting about entrepreneurship, how to overcome different obstacles in life. And I think we had a really great and meaningful discussion that night. And I've actually got a backstory. One of the mentees who came to the dinner actually joined our organization about a month ago. <laughs> oh, wow. Was it he or she? And did you guys like, you know, keep in touch all these years? Or Yes, yes. Uh, no, no, actually, we didn't keep in touch all these years. But one day, I just got an email in, in my inbox. Uh, his name is Jordan. So he introduced himself. And he was like, oh, by the way, I, there's an opportunity that I'm interested in at your organization. We had dinner about six, seven years ago. I'm not sure you still remember me, but actually I do remember him. And thank you for the initiative that you and your team put together. The world was quite small. Yeah, wow. I think I remember Jordan. I think if I didn't remember, I think he went to a few of our events as well. But yeah, small world. And <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> hey, why did you start Time Auction? So I obviously know a lot about your charity, but for a lot of the listeners on this podcast, I think they'll be interested to know more about what you do and what your organization represents. Yeah, sure. So like you first introduced us, our organization, our main mission is to get more people to volunteer. But the backstory, I'll start with how we came up with the idea and how we got introduced, how we met like six, seven years ago. Back then, I think I was two or three years in after graduating, I was working in, a, in an investment bank and my friend was working also in finance. I guess a lot of people in Hong Kong, they, they feel like they have to climb like the corporate ladder because it's such financial center and everybody needs to think about how to make money to get a mortgage and all that. And I feel like a lot of people, they didn't think about what they want to do in terms of like what they're passionate about. So just having that culture life crisis really early on and then seeing a lot of my friends like being really, you know, feeling very stuck at work and they wanted to do something they're passionate about, but they're not sure 
how to go about it. My friend Sui and I, we used to, you know, just think about this question a lot. We went to a lot of startup events, trying to figure out how we can find a career that we are passionate about. So one night, it was just like a random idea. We thought, hey, why don't we find people who have, you know, crafted a career out of what they're passionate about at the same time are very successful at it. And then we can open up this opportunity for any young people to learn from them. But in exchange, they will have to volunteer 10 hours at any NGO in order to get this learning opportunity. So in a way, we're providing mentorship to different people, but at the same time, we're getting more people to volunteer. So that's how it started. And I think we met a lot of, it resonated with a lot of people because I think in our generation, finding something that we're passionate about doing is very important. And at the same time, we all feel like we need to give back to the society. There's like so many different problems that actually we want to solve. So that's how it kind of the snowball. It just kind of kept snowballing from a side project to now, yeah, seven years later, we, we have four, uh, we're going to be five full-time staff, still a small team in Hong Kong. Amazing. But yeah, that's how it, it got started. I'm sure when you and your team started, when you're right in that moment, you didn't quite foresee it would grow to what it is today, right? No, not at all. I never, I've never like aspired to be in the charity sector. I always wanted to just do something. I wanted to find something I'm passionate about. Yeah, I never knew that would be in this philanthropic sector. Hey, I just want out of curiosity, why did you pay volunteering hours as, I guess, as a means to exchange for the mentor's time? Yeah. I think it just kind of combines like both of our passions. So back in, back in, you know, my full-time job back then, I did a lot of volunteering in a way, cause like my supervisor back then is really big on volunteering and also volunteering inside the bank is a way to get away from your day job as well, to meet other people, do something outside of your comfort zone. But after volunteering, I realized it's such an eye-opening experience. You learn a lot about yourself. In one way, I was trying to figure out if I, if I leave the bank, then what would I be jumping into? And from volunteering, from teaching young kids, working with young people to even, you know, having the elderly, I realized a lot about what I liked and didn't like doing. Like I didn't have the patience to teach like really, really young kids, but I love working with young people. And the second thing is I realized, you know, volunteering is really like a real world education, right? Like you hear so much about different problems in the world from like, you know, the media and all that, but you really have to go out there to see it for yourself, then you have that emotional connection. Like, for example, you always hear about the plastic problem, but going to a beach cleanup with a lot of people and realizing, wow, there's just really so much plastic that the plants are going, like growing through the plastic. You just, there's no way you can clean it up. And then it really leaves an impression on you. And then after that, like right after that beach cleanup, the first thing I did was get a reusable water bottle because I don't want to use any disposable plastic anymore. I realized like volunteering is just a great way to understand more about at the front line, what the problems are like. And even if later on, you don't have time to volunteer, it will stick with you. You might donate, you might help out in raising awareness, but it just is a way to educate people and change their mindset. So that became what we part of our mission and getting more people to have that firsthand experience. Yeah. Funny you mentioned plastic bottles at the peak of the pandemic last year. I actually ran around Hong Kong and I shot a video just trying to advocate people to use less disposable masks and just use more reusable masks. <laughs> yeah. It is a big, yeah, it is a big problem. Yeah, definitely. That problem, yeah, for sure. Mm. 
you started the initiative back in 2014. You didn't foresee that it would become a registered charity. Can you share with us what, what was the journey like? I know you, from what I read, it took about three years to become a registered charity in Hong Kong. What were the challenges in becoming a charity and you know, what did you have to overcome during the journey? Yeah, I think we had a relatively smooth journey. So for the first two years, Sui and I were just happy doing this like fun side project. So back then our scale was around, we would host maybe 25 to 30 events per year. So we'll work on this, you know, during lunchtime on the weekend. So we work in the same building in Changgong Center. So it was easy to meet, meet over lunchtime and just work on this. And it got to a point where we, we felt like every weekend we we're kind of working on this. It's kind of like the maximum scale that we could have as a side project. But for those two years, we hosted, you know, 50, 60 events featuring different theaters. And I think, you know, every event have about 10 to 15 people. So people have to like log on the website about what volunteer work they've done in order to join the event. And just by doing that, I think people contributed like 6,000 something volunteer hours to different charities. And soon I was thinking, wow, we only spent like a thousand Hong Kong dollars on this side project, like printing some flyers, <laughs> renting a domain on the website. And we had this impact. So we thought about, you know, we don't know what to do with it because we never thought about, you know, doing it full time. It's always been like a hobby, like a side project until one day. So one of the first like feature guest that we had in Hong Kong, his name is also Aaron. So Aaron Lee, he's the founder, serial entrepreneur, very smart guy founded like six or seven startups by the time he was 28. He's now working on a startup called Dash. So co-living spaces, service apartment, asset-like startup. And anyway, one day, um, Suyi just bumped into him. And then because he was our first guest and he kept on hearing about all these like news and stories about our organization for two years. And he thought we, was, we were doing like really great work. And then he realized, oh, you guys are only doing this on the side and you had all this traction. Why don't you do it full time? And initially he wanted to buy us out. <laughs> like, he's like oh, let me just acquire a little side project and run it. Cause I'm an entrepreneur. You guys might not know what you're doing. And we got a little excited. It's like, well, how much can we sell it for? Um, we're going to become one of those successful like acquisition story. But then I guess after a while we thought, you know, we're really passionate about this. It's rare to find something you're passionate about and actually have some sort of traction. So we decided not to sell. We also didn't know how, to, how much to sell it for. And so at the end, he joined us as a donor and we became a registered charity and a few other donors joined us. And even now, he's very involved in our organization. Like I'm sitting in his office right now because his, his office always have like a space for our team. So yeah, I guess that has been a relatively serendipitous, smooth journey <laughs> of how we became a registered charity. But obviously after that point, after becoming a registered charity, the growth these past four years is a whole other different story because we have to, you know, grow properly. We have to, you know, fundraise from foundations and institutions. Yeah. Everything is a lot more, I guess, how do I say, like past the startup yeah. phase, <laughs> a bit more grown up now. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember you and Su-Yi. So Su-Yi is the other co-founder. You guys are both very passionate what we met back in 2015. How important was it to have a co-founder that has a similar passion as you? And how do you guys divvy up your work and responsibilities in the organization? Yeah, I honestly, I feel so lucky to have a co-founder that I, I really think that we, we get along like really, really well. And because I, I see so, I have so many star friends and not a lot of them there are a lot of like breakups and arguments, but 
I think having a co-founder for me is just so important to have that emotional support and just bounce ideas off. I've always thought about like entrepreneurship is kind of like going backpacking, like you're going on a journey that you have to figure out what resources you need to get and you have to kind of craft out your own path. Whereas in a more like corporate setting, it might feel a little bit like you're taking a train. You kind of know where you're going next and you have all these different passengers along going along this journey with you. So it feels like other people would know what you're going through. But sometimes in a, during a startup, it feels like you could be quite lonely sometimes because you're thinking about, you know, fundraising or, you know, hiring and not a lot of people are thinking about the same things as you. So I think having a co-founder is so, so important. I do feel like we're in a bit of like, it does feel like a marriage to me, like in a way <laughs> that we have to figure out, you know, all these like work stuff, but also we are enjoying the whole process. Like it's really fun to be doing this together. But the more, the most important thing, I think what makes it work is that we are really honest with each other in a way that in the beginning, we like, you know, obviously as a side project, like she has her day job, I have my day job and we have all these things that we need to do. Like you might go into problems where, hey, it, it's the other person pulling the same way as you, like who should do this difficult task, right? Like all these things that you have to kind of decide. and. And one thing that is very valuable is we would be able to constructively give each other feedback without letting ego get in the way. Like we would tell each other, hey, I really think that you can do this better and give her all the reasons why, but also not in a way that like we would think really hard on how the other person would receive it in the nicest way possible. And you think that that would be a helpful criticism or constructive feedback. I think that really helped each of us grow over the years. <laughs> being assertive, but without being too direct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being direct, but also makes the other person feel like I'm not telling you that you're not doing this right because I can do it better than you, but because I'm telling you that you can do it better because I really think that you can do it better. And also this would also help the organization. I think not a lot of people can have that space to tell each other what they're doing, not as well. And I think we do that to each other. And I think that really helps us grow. Yeah. I really like what you just said. I think a lot of the times when we are so focused on something, sometimes we've become too egocentric and we forget to involve the people that are around us. And we might get into a thinking, thinking, you know, we are better than everyone. We are smarter than everyone. And then we are less receptive of feedback. And hearing from your story, I think not everyone is lucky to have found someone that I guess is, that can work with them, work with him or her. And I think you guys are quite lucky to have found each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel very lucky too. But I also feel like this is part of the culture that, that is so important. So within our team and even our board members or volunteers, we have this as, as a behavior that we expect from everyone that you need to tell other people how they can do better and give mm -hmm. them some suggestions on how, you know, they can improve. So, yep. and it's also part of their performance review. So have you like given feedback to other people? Uh, have you done well in that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure this can also stop sort of the feeling of, complacency right because some some people or some organizations they reach a certain milestone or a certain stage they forget where they were before and they stop improving upon yesterday yeah i think especially as a leader or ceo or whatever and you need that feedback especially yep. because yep. 
people will be less one to tell you what you're not doing as good. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about handling difficult conversation. I think, from my understanding, you quit your corporate job, your full-time job in 2017, right? Four, three or four years after you founded this side passion, and mm. you obviously you were in a, I guess, in a very reputable financial institution. You had a great career going. How was that conversation with your family when when you told them you wanted to just quit your full time job and work on this great cause? Yeah, I think in a way that conversation is still going. <laughs> like <laughs> my dad, obviously being a very Asian parent, like he wanted me to drop out of art school because he was scared that I'm going to be homeless. So I, I came back to study business, and obviously in the bank he feels like, oh, good that you you're doing this. Like, and when I told him I'm working on this side project, he would have a hard time understanding. He'd be like, "Why? Why are you doing this? Like, you have great colleagues, and then why don't you just kind of stay there and be happy?" But I think over time, like he kind of started to understand. Like he would see us on like newspaper, and I guess for them, it's a validation that I'm doing something right. Like he would, "Oh, okay, like you must be doing something legitimate and not just this like." You know, side thing that I don't know what you're doing. And now he's very supportive. Also, from time to time, he would ask me, "When are you going to? Since you're an entrepreneur, why don't you work on a for-profit business and try to make more money?" <laughs> so that would come <laughs> up from time to time. But I think yeah. he's he's happy to see that I'm happy. So I think most of the time he's good. Um, <laughs> just sometimes he would remind me. <laughs> yeah. I think obviously different generations because of our upbringing, life experiences, we have different values, and sometimes managing this conversation, these conversations, could be very difficult. And and also I guess when you're also in the in the midst of building building your dream, building a charity. You already have a lot of obstacles or challenges during your day. When you return home, you also need to handle, I guess, these difficult conflicts with your parents or families. I, it could feel quite overwhelming for some people. Would you agree? Hmm. Hmm. I think at times, at times, it could feel overwhelming because I think the main difference would be when you're leading the organization. Now, I feel like I'm responsible for everyone's kind of career and livelihood in the team. And wherever this organization goes, it a lot of it lies on you, right? Like where your mindset is, like where your ambition is, what you, what is your vision, and how are you going to get there? And I think the major difference is, it, you're always kind of thinking about it, like it's kind of really tied to your lifestyle and identity in a way. Yeah. But I find yeah. that I don't know. I, I I feel like you get really enjoying. It. You get used to it. You yeah. get used to it, right? Yeah. I also yeah. feel like having like small side project helps like balance your mindset a little bit, and meditation habits, and having people friends who are going through similar things. Oh, tell me about your meditation. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when we started, like Suri and I both do it, and when we first started a side project, we had a full time job. We had this side project. And at, at times, it feels really overwhelming. We're like, oh, why is it so like? I feel so hectic, you know. It never ends. And then, <laughs> yeah, like it never ends. And then, yeah, I just feel like you're not very calm, and you're like always in this like rush. And then we thought, hey, there's got to be a better way of doing this. Like at the end of the day, we're just doing like one small side project. Like Richard Branson has like I don't know, like 300 businesses. I'm sure there are better ways to deal with. All these things. So we started meditating on a daily basis. We just started using Headspace, the app, and I think it made it just makes such a huge difference. For some, it just feels like you have more Headspace and more clarity. In a way, it feels like you have five to ten minutes in a day where you let the dust settle 
and then you can see more clearly. You're more calm. You're more like I don't know. You can be more proactive instead of reactive, and I think that's really important to be productive. How many times do you meditate a week? Do you do every day? Uh, I try to, but now, <laughs> yeah, I'm not setting a very good example.、Uh, do you do you meditate? Have you tried it? I tried, and then I quickly realized meditate is not really for me. So instead of meditation, I try to work out several times a week. And about a month ago, I, I started going to the gym every morning before I go to work. Wow,、yeah. what time? Like five a.m. kind of.、Uh, no,、schedule? around six six thirty. Yeah, generally before seven.、Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish、yeah. I can do that. I think that's even more impressive. <laughs> yeah, but that only happened when I came to a realization that if there is something that I wanted to change myself, I first need to change the system. Right. Yes. Yep. And、mm. my lifestyle was part of that bigger ecosystem. So not only did I, I guess, change just by going to the gym every morning. There were several other things that I changed in, in my life and my priorities. Events that I go to, people that I talk to, books that I read. So it's never just one thing that sort of that can really help you transform your life. Basically, I several things that I I purposely change to make that so so that I can focus on what I should be focusing on. Mm, yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you a sensitive question, if I may, and feel free to ignore it、sure. if you think it's not appropriate. <laughs> it's just that, from my experiences and from what I heard from others, one of the concerns some people have with donations is that, in particular, with a very, I guess, large-scale NGOs, not so much your case, but for other large NGOs. When they become too big, their overhead also increases, right? And one of the observations from some people is that a fair amount of the donation actually goes into salaries and administration and whatnot, instead of directly going into the beneficiaries. Do you think this is an issue? And what's your view on this?、Mm, yeah, I think it applies to like big and small. I think it's a mindset that when people donate, I totally understand where they are coming from. Like they want to make sure the donations are used. Most effectively in solving the problem that they're donating to solve. My view on this is that actually, I think this is not a good question or indicator of whether a charity is effective, big or small. I think obviously there's one analogy, or actually there's a definition that I really think that is important, which is charity and philanthropy. Right, like charity is donating to treat more the symptoms. Someone's hungry. You donate to give them, you know, however meals a day. Philanthropy is really looking at the problem and trying to treat the root cause. And when you're trying to treat the root cause, it's really hard to separate the salary. Meaning, really, you need to you need smart people, hardworking people, to try to solve this problem for the long term. That resource, then, you know, helping them with. So-called going to the beneficiaries, right? Like it's really about teaching someone to fish or giving them fish for a day. So I guess a lot of Hong Kong, it is quite a lot of people would ask this question, and I think a lot of the foundations or donors who are more advanced in in the philanthropic journey would realize that that might not be the a good indicator or question to ask, because if the problems that you think is so important to solve. How are you able to pay the people who are trying to solve this problem, right? Like it, that's they are such an important part of it. And at the end of the day, if you, you know, obviously you, you cannot expect to make 
you know, hedge fund style of money in philanthropy. But at the same time, I think the least you can do is for the staff and the people who work in it, not be a charity case themselves, because that's not sustainable. At the end of the day, they would be going back to banking, going back to other for-profit organizations because they just cannot sustain that lifestyle if they're not getting paid. I think another analogy that I hear is really important is, for example, if you look at whether a charity is effective or not, I think the KPIs or how you measure that would be different for a case-by-case basis. If an organization is doing cancer research, it might be different than an organization getting people off the street, like getting homeless people off the street, right? So an analogy I heard I think is really important is, for example, if you look at like football coaches in different universities, their results is driven by whether the team wins championships or not, right? That's the KPI. But you can't really separate, hey, how much of that money is going to the coach or how much of that money is going to, I don't know, the other, you know, so-called beneficiary kind of money, like program money. Then it doesn't really say anything about the effectiveness of the result. It really just says that that's how you spend the money. So I think that is not a good starting point of the question. Like the question really should be really understanding a bit more about the organization's work, about the strategy to solve the problem and did the money really set out to help solve that problem and did they hit the KPIs and do what they say. So I think it's a different mindset. That was probably one of the best, most insightful answers I've heard for a long time. And you sort of hit the nail on my head with your answers in terms of really looking at the effectiveness of the charity. Just because someone gives out a bigger paycheck to the beneficiary, that doesn't necessarily mean he or she is actually addressing the root cause of the issue. We could be reacting to a much bigger problem. So the focus should really be on, by giving out our resources, what problems are we solving? Are we just solving the symptoms, like you said, or are we really solving the the root cause? Uh, For example, if we know someone is jobless, we could give them a paycheck, you know, month after month, right? But maybe a more meaningful way is to get that person a job. Mm. Or upskill them and see how they can, you know, helping them to help themselves. And yeah, definitely. I think both kind of donation is important. Like if someone's hungry, that's very important that we, you know, rescue them and save them. But I think more donors think this way than people who think about treating the root cause and thinking smartly about, you know, how the donation would pay off in in terms of like the impact that could be generated. Thank you. You've helped so many people and your team has also helped many, many people with many volunteering hours. I just wanted to ask you, what's your most memorable story or some of the impact that either yourself or your team has made over the years? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we've seen so many different stories. There are many that come to mind. I think we have seen, you know, someone, uh, there is ethnic minority school that we promoted the program to. And I remember this one kid who was only like 15 years old back then and that he really wanted to be an entrepreneur you know those high energy teenager that you see and he has like a lot of ideas and he found out about a program and that was still like you know a side project i think probably around 2015 or 16 and then he volunteered every weekend at food angel just packing food <laughs> so that he would rank up all the volunteer hours to come meet you know steven from gogo fan andy from like ndn group and a couple other entrepreneurs and then after those conversations it really like opened his mind it's like this is definitely the path I want to take and he thought that you know this in the high school he was in he didn't have access to these kind of exposure and then after I think a year or two he came back and he started a startup 
And back then he was only like 17 and then he took a gap year to work in a startup. So he's really pursuing like his passion. I think it's all these like little seed conversation to understanding the mentor's mindset that really kind of have him click. So that was quite heartwarming for us to see is that, you know, just a side project that we were running back then. Another story that came to mind is, you know, obviously with COVID, a lot of people lost their job. And there is this one case that we came across. So there's this girl called Alice. She was working in the hotel industry for 10 years. And then obviously with the layoff and everything, she took a career break and then she couldn't get back into the industry. She just sent out like 50 applications a month and there's no, the jobs just weren't there. And she was feeling like really depressed and really unsure about herself. And then she found a platform and she started taking on, I think, three to four like skill volunteer projects. Like she was learning about digital marketing. And then she realized, hey, there's these NGOs that need a digital marketing person to help them brainstorm maybe online fundraising or setting up an e-shop. So she took on those projects and then she started feeling really confident again because now these NGOs she realizes super professional and could really use her skills. And then she went on this interview to share how, you know, skill volunteering really helped her build her back up, like her confidence and really make her rethink even when she has a full-time job, she needs to have this as part of her lifestyle. So I think it's just quite interesting to see how the activities that we have kind of fit into everybody's journey to help them like grow and give back. I think that's kind of what we set out to do and want to do more. <laughs> yeah. Those are great stories. Thank you for sharing those. I wanted to ask you about your your current agenda. You guys are very successful in your home market in Hong Kong. And one of your top agendas now is to help scale this great cause to other countries. How difficult is it when you are trying to expand this concept to other international cities? Are the challenges similar to the ones that you face at home or were there any surprises as you were doing it? Yeah, so before COVID, we were actually we were kind of on a roll there. Like We launched in eight other cities in just like maybe like two years. So we were starting London, we were in LA, SF and Australia and Singapore and KL. And we started to have people who were interested in donating to kind of expand our programs there. So it was, it runs like a TEDx model. So initially we would have people apply to bring time auction to the city and then they would interview and then, and then we will select people who are capable and then we'll train them how to do our experiences and events there. And then they would encourage the local community to volunteer and learn from the local feature mentors. But obviously with COVID, it, a lot of the places are unfortunately have to be put on hold. Like Hong Kong is already one of the more fortunate cities that have this situation kind of under control. So what we're really focusing on right now is kind of growing our home market first and then seeing how the other cities open up again later on. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of needs, even just in Hong Kong. Like we have 380 NGOs on the platform right now, but Hong Kong has like 6,000 surfacing NGOs. So there's still a long way to go. And we have probably like around 5,000 skilled professionals who apply to different projects. But again, you know, there are just so many smart people in Hong Kong that, that have the potential to give back with their pro bono talent. So there's just a long way to go. And we're focusing mainly on Hong Kong right now until we'll see how COVID, <laughs> unfortunately, we have to wait till COVID is over to rethink about international expansion plans. Yeah. So if there's any listener who's interested in, I guess, seeing time auction in their country or in their city, how can they go about it? And how, how can they reach out to you or how can they help? 
Yeah, sure. Definitely send me an email. We have an application process that we you can start a city in a chapter in your city. Otherwise, I think really good place to start is just see if there are any volunteer projects that you want to take on on the platform. There are about you know fifty new projects every month, and come join our <laughs> events in Hong Kong if you're in Hong Kong. Yeah, that would be a really good place where people can start to get involved. Great. Hey, thank you so much for all your sharing today, Fion. I am inspired by a lot of your stories, and I'm really glad to see how far you have come since 2014, since that night we met and we had dinner at Lan Kwai Fong, and all the volunteering hours that you guys have racked up and accumulated over the years has just been very impressive. And again, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you, and say hi to Jordan yeah, for we me. Do. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Take care. And I look forward to seeing you in person. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Bye. Thank you for listening to Transformative Purpose. In each episode, we talk to inspirational people who are making our world better. Make sure to like, rate, and review. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, if you have questions or feedback, you can reach out at aaronpeng.co.